0: Hey everybody! It is the second episode of "Community is a Verb." Mr. Well traveled, how are you doing today?
1: Good. I'm. I'm. I'm good. I'm. I'm feeling excited to be here for episode two. I can't believe it. We've. I feel like it's a milestone, right? <laughs> Especially we had a couple of false starts. So to make it past episode one to episode two, you know, before you know it, we'll be at episode one hundred.
0: Yeah, and and. I woke up this morning and I was very excited for the show. I think last or two weeks ago when we did the first real episode, I was really nervous, uh, not, not sure what was going to happen. But today uh, I feel the energy of, of being excited about doing the show. And so yeah, I feel really good about the first episode. Um, and we got lots of feedback and changed things. But we want to start the show every week with a check-in, right? We're going through a pandemic. We've got these crazy fires that are now happening. It yeah. just feels weird, even more weird than it already was. And so, I want to ask you, Mister Old Travel, like, how you doing? How you been feeling this week? Um, give us some feedback there.
1: Yeah, thanks. You know, um, yeah, we haven't really talked a lot since the you know last uh, time we uh, recorded. So I haven't had a chance to to share. I've been really busy at work. At like really busy. Uh, I've been super busy with uh, the NextUp app. And that's, I mean, I feel like I'm not getting enough sleep. And then we've had this super plume (laughs) come in. I'm I'm learning this new language around smoke. And, you know, it's affecting me. Like my eyes are itchy and watery. Uh, I feel like it's a little harder to breathe. It's, it looks like a a dystopian future sci-fi movie outside right now um i'm I, i'm i'm glad that we're still uh, recording today but as soon as we finish i'm gonna go lock myself up uh somewhere because i it's it's a lot the smoke is it, it's no joke
0: yeah it's another level of intensity right with the COVID 19 It's already worrisome to, like, go outside and be around people. Uh, But I have – I've never really felt uncomfortable with, like, walking to the park or taking a walk around the block. Now it really is, like, don't open your windows. Don't go outside uh, because, yeah, your eyes start itching. Your throat swells up. It gets all scratchy. And it really feels like the world is telling us to not, not be outside right now.
1: Yeah. And surprisingly, there are still a lot of people outside. A lot.
0: Yes. I saw pictures of like people dining on outdoor patios last night.
1: Yeah. I um <laughs> I you know, I have a I have a a kind of a issue with King Five. Um so King Five, uh for for those who are in the Seattle area, you probably know King Five as local news. Um if you're not in the Seattle area, it is one of the many uh TV news stations. And they had this I, I feel like a ridiculous story. Uh, on yesterday, and it was about the smoke. The reporter makes this comment that the smoke is so bad, and it's really bad for people who have respiratory issues. And then she says, but what's worse is that people won't be able to eat outside. And then she goes on and has a whole segment about the fact that people can't eat outside. And I'm thinking to myself, what world do we live in here that smoke inhalation for people who have respiratory issues is bad. But what's worse, the worst thing is actually the people who want to eat outside, who could eat, who don't have a problem getting any food. They're going to sit at a restaurant that they actually can't go sit outside and eat food. I just I like what's going on here? Yeah, but maybe
0: not the best choice of transition words there.
1: I don't think it's even that important to even make a news story about that <laughs> because here's what they weren't talking about. What about the fact that up until very late yesterday, there were no shelters available for the homeless? I'm like, why weren't they talking about that? Now, that should have been on the news. I was asking a coworker, think, I, wonder, I just want to give a shout out to Jess, Jess Reese. Jess is awesome. She listened to the podcast and she also has been keeping me informed about what's going on uh, with the smoke. And I asked her about this particular issue um, and she said, yeah, um, there's nothing that's been announced. And as soon as something was announced, she sent it to me. But yeah, I mean, this is the thing. The the news has made a choice. Yes. We're going to talk about the, we're going to bemoan the fact that people can't go sit outside and eat. But meanwhile, there are people who can't escape the outside at all. It's not a choice for them and they need to be protected too. And that wasn't a story. And so that's, that's all that I, I think I want to say there. It's just, I I find that to be um, a problem and I wish that uh, we were able to, uh, well, I hope, I hope some folks from King five listen to our podcast. That's what I
0: hope. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that I'm going to end that. <laughs> but but that is a very much a growing concern, right? the yeah. The issue with homelessness is already e- even inflated even more because of the financial crisis that is happening. Um, but to for it to be physically dangerous to even be outside breathing air right now uh, creates even more of a problem. I feel feel horrible for how many people are stuck in that position. And yeah, it doesn't really feel like a lot of emergency services have been put together uh, to to help out and find some place where they can get indoors and be ventilated. And on top of that, yeah, dealing with having people in close quarters is, it it is a lot to handle. But yeah, it it hasn't been talked about enough. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, but it, it just looks crazy outside, right? Like when I woke up this morning, you can see, I mean, this window, but it's all like, this orange light that's coming through, right? It really looks like, uh, how we describe 2020. It really has that like matching look now, which is, uh, it's kind of scary. And seeing all those photos from California and Oregon this past week, has just been, been terrifying, right? See how many millions of people have had to evacuate how many posts I've seen about, uh, here's like how to be prepared for an evacuation, right? Like I saw this Instagram post and it was like five steps depending on how much time you have to evacuate. Like here are the most important things that you need to grab. If you have five minutes, if 30 minutes, if you have one hour or you have half a day. And, um, my, my heart goes out to all those people that are put in that position. I feel very fortunate right now to, uh, only be dealing with the bad air and not have my, my home and livelihood in danger.
1: Yeah. Um, you know I, I I know people who have family and friends in Oregon and California and and, and yeah we 're dealing with just the bad air, but they 're dealing with a you know a lot serious of a situation and that 's just something i couldn 't imagine going through a wildfire. um I saw a documentary i can 't think of the name of it right now uh, on Netflix uh i mean i guess it was last year and it was about a wildfire that happened i want to say in 2017 or 2018 in california and i mean it 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 was because we have cell phones they were able to use actual cell phone footage and then later interview the people who um escaped that and i mean it was just I, i i can't I can't imagine trying to run from a wildfire. I mean, they, there were so many times within that documentary where the people, they thought they had enough time and then it, the wildfire changed direction and they got trapped. And so then they tried to go another direction and then they got trapped. I mean, and it was just, I, I was I couldn't believe they, they all survived. There was a point at which everyone who was trying to escape ended up having to meet in the same location and somehow the fire just passed right by them, but they were literally just in the middle of a parking lot of, um, I don't know exactly what type of business it was, but maybe it was a school or something. I don't know, but they were in the middle of a parking lot and that was it. They they just had to sit there. There was nothing they could do. Um, and then their homes were burned. Oh. I don't know if you saw that saw that flicker there, but that flicker it may happen for you know periodically. Uh, it looks like there might be a little bit of a, a glitch on my end, but uh, I I'm taking that as like the the bell to say time's up for this topic. It's
0: time to move <laughs> <on."> <laughs> so so let's talk about before we jump into the main topic of today's episode. What we want to do here at Community as a Verb is each week give a special shout out to. People that we see, whether they're local in our community or in other communities, that are doing interesting things and inspire us. And so, Mr. Well Traveled, who is your community shout out for this week?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, that's easy. Uh, it, the Undefined Good Girls podcast, Kiara and Vanessa. So I follow Vanessa on Instagram. She follows me too. So it's not like, you know, it's, it's mutual, it's not one way. Um, but yeah they gave me the idea for this community check-in segment. They do this on their podcast. They are two sisters and they start their podcast with a check-in. And it's pretty cool because right now they're they are in different locations. So I think Kiara's in Chicago and um, Vanessa's in North Carolina. In their previous episodes, they were in both in North Carolina. Actually, even I think living together. So the check-in actually is really useful. So you can get a little bit of background on where they are since the last podcast. Also, um, I really enjoyed their latest episode. They talked about. Uh, their reaction to the death of Chadwick Boseman and they gave me a new perspective on grief and a journey that one has uh, over the course of life dealing with very um, different types of deaths whether they're more distant whether they're family whether they're friends and so that's yeah that's who I want to give a shout out to.
0: Yeah I that, that episode was really difficult for me to listen to Uh, because you told me about it. And I didn't know what I was going into. And that was the first episode that I listened to. And I was like, wow, like this, this is heavy from the beginning, because talking about grief, talking about death, especially death specific to you as an individual is very difficult, uh, very emotional. And a lot of people don't want to talk about those uh, specific topics and, and have those memories be brought up. And it's interesting as a society that we don't talk about death in grief as much. So it was a really good reflection to me just to think about my life and and compare about the death that I've experienced and how that's impacted me. Um, And we all deal with it very differently. But I think that uh, speaking about it and putting it out there, especially putting out there on a public platform was a beautiful thing to do something that we need to do more of. And uh, yeah, shout out to Kiara and Vanessa. I think their show is great. Check them out. It's called the Undefined Good Girls Podcast. And uh, I'm glad that you introduced me to it because yeah, they're wonderful. And I'm looking forward to listen more for them. So let's transition from there into what we're here to talk about this week. Uh, because last week or last episode, we got so much feedback related to uh, us diving into voting and voter suppression. Right. So we want to call this episode, Let's talk about voter suppression, and I know this is something that you're very passionate about. Eventually, here in the episode, we're going to talk about uh, some of the action that you very directly are taking to address that problem. But let's start off with the very important part that we addressed in the cycle last week was addressing the problem, right? So let's talk first a little bit about the problem of voter suppression. Define it a little bit, and then we can go back into. Uh, impact and actions and things that we can do to be better
1: yeah uh, I think that is a good place to start so I am thinking about how far back we really need to go with the topic because um, what occurred to me just now as you were saying that was I, I am like, well, where, where do I want us to actually start? Because there's there's a, a thing that I think we have to understand about the right to vote first in the United States. It was not granted to all people from the very beginning. Um, if I remember the statistic correctly, um, only 6% of the population had the right to vote when the country was founded. So I think that's very important to keep in mind that when we talk about the right to vote, it is something that over time has been granted to more and more people. And as it has been granted to more and more people over time, we've seen voter suppression tactics be deployed to prevent those same people who have been given access from voting and exercising their newly received right to vote. And the tactics have changed over time. They look different over time. What we see today looks different than what we saw 100, 150 years ago. I would say they're related, but it does look different and so forth. I think for some people they may remember some of the voter suppression tactics they heard about in school or in college, but they may not as easily identify what voter
0: suppression looks like today. Yeah, and so and there there's it's happening in so many ways. You you make a really good point about how in the beginning of the country, very few people were actually given the right to vote. Right? Mm-hmm even through the constitution, right? Only 6%. Yeah. It was, it was white men. Right. right. Um, and slowly through, uh, litigation and, and fighting and, and marches and protests that's expanded, but we're still not probably even close to being at that. Like everyone actually has the right to vote and it's very interesting yet yeah, how tactics have evolved. Uh, there, and, and we'll go into some of those in details, uh, but but one of the ones that I wanted to bring up was around identification. So some current stats right now I read were 36 states have identification requirements at the polling stations mm-hmm. and seven states have strict photo ID laws. Uh, so the, the voter must present one limited set of form issued uh, government ID. Right. And I know you shared a video like in Texas, you can uh, use your, gun uh, registration, gun owner registration, but you can't use your student ID, right? From a public university. And that's, it's crazy. And so the other thing is voter ID laws have been estimated by the U.S. Government Accountability Office to reduce voter turnout by two to three percentage points, right? And we see an election, two to three percentage points turns the tide of an election. Right, that makes a huge difference. And so by getting people not to show up because they don't have the appropriate ID becomes a very easy way. Um, and to say at 36 states that have some type of law um, is a very um, sneaky way to get people not to vote. And, and so why do you think, this is an obvious answer, but why do you think that politicians are creating laws To make sure people don't vote
1: why do i think (laughs) well uh, that's yeah i mean yes i think i think it's um i i i i'm trying to think about how i want to even answer that because it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because i i don't think that i i guess i really think about it from the perspective of why because to me it seems pretty obvious that there is a perceived threat and perhaps a very real one that if the actual number of people who have the right to vote actually came out and voted, our government elected officials, they would look different. We would have different people in office. So if your goal is not to represent people, but to maintain your own position and protect your own power, then you're going to do whatever you can from a strategy perspective to limit anyone from being able to remove you from power and change the system that you control and want to continue to benefit from. That's what I see as as the driving force there. Um, That being said, I do think that for many people, they may see something different. So I I certainly wouldn't welcome anyone saying, no, I don't agree with that. But that, you know, that's my perspective.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. It comes down to power. And and a lot of the issues that we always seem to talk about always come down to who's in power and how do they maintain power. Um, and, And that you could argue, is is a human thing that's been going on for, forever. And this is just a, a specific uh, use case that is happening in. But I think you're totally right and that people who get in these positions of power want to maintain their power. Yeah. And so they figure out ways to manipulate might not be the right word, but manipulate so they stay there right and so gerrymandering is one of the huge things that has been happening for decades here in america um on both party lines and has gotten worse and worse and we've been seeing that with the election because the gerrymandering uh really has a huge influence on uh the power of an individual vote right it, it is an easy not an easy way but a way to take a certain demographic of people and lower their influence and make other people's votes more important when it comes to uh, the different districts. And so we have the census. I think it's really important to bring up the census uh, in this topic, right? Because the census deadline is on September 30th, 2020. Uh, so depending on when you're listening to this, you got a couple weeks. If you have not filled that out, like I, I have to reiterate how important it is to fill out that piece of information. If you've got internet connection, it, only takes a couple of minutes to do. Uh, And here's why it's so important. So the census decides how they allocate 90, or I'm sorry, $900 billion in funding for social services, health and education programs, right? And the census is gonna be also information on how they draw future lines after this election, right? So I think it's only one in every 10 years, it's very helpful, important information um, and I very much encourage everyone to do that if you haven't done it already.
1: So I like uh, that you've uh, mentioned gerrymandering now. Uh, you also talked about um, the census and the connection uh, to gerrymandering. I think this is sort of the landscape, right? Like the, the voter suppression landscape. There are things that happen and they happen at different time. And they happen in different ways that are not always obvious to um, the public. And uh, while we're living our lives, we're told, hey, fill out the census. Many of us do. Being counted is important. But we may not hear until a year or two down the road about redistricting. And I think that's a kind of an interesting thing. And we may not. That may not even be the top story on the news that night. So you may miss it. But then when you show up to vote, you suddenly realize you've been impacted. And you actually, I wouldn't even say suddenly. You might not find, you might not realize it until after the election. So you've gone to vote, you have voted, and then you see who actually wins and you see what the landscape at that point looks like in terms of leadership and what you may come to find the way gerrymandering tends to present itself is that you'll have multiple representatives from a smaller population of people because districts have been drawn to create more districts for the smaller population, but put a bigger population of people into one district. So then they have a single representative. So while they may have representation, they won't have the same level of representation as a smaller population of people in an area. There are some really interesting cases around gerrymandering in North Carolina, in Texas. One that I re- recently um, learned about was uh, my a school that I attended for a couple of years, uh, HBCU North Carolina A&T. For its voting district, the university was split in half. North Carolina A&T State University is the largest HBCU by population in the country. So the idea of splitting this university in half, literally down the street, their line is drawn down the middle of the street on a map. The idea is very simple that means you split the population so that you can't have a group, a large group of people being able to vote within the same district. And so therefore weakening the influence. This is a tactic that may not even be clear to everyone. I mean, I didn't even know that was the case until uh, learning a little bit more about uh, what was specifically happening in North Carolina.
0: That is wild. So what, When you were going to school there, was the lines getting drawn like at that time or was it something like you got up there and that was something you learned like, oh, on that side, they're in this district and on this side, we're in another district.
1: That's actually something more recent. Like that's just happened in the last couple of years. So I haven't been to school there in a long time. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, so I've been there. I haven't been back there in in quite some time. But uh, that, yeah, that's something that's more recent that's happened.
0: And that's such a distinct example, right? To be right down the middle of the university, like that is so intentional, right? Like that was 100% intentional. We're gonna split up this group and this population uh, to really marginalize their voice, right? Because they're gonna be so much stronger if they're together, right? They're gonna form a community and stand on specific issues and vote for those issues. Uh, And when you split them up, yeah, you really uh, limit their power of their individual votes. Yeah. That's that's a wild example. Wow,
1: yeah, I, I mean, and there and there are lots of stories like that. We, you know, there are there are folks who are activists who are researchers, and they're expecting to see some similar things happen in Texas because Texas has a growing um, African American as well as Latino population, and there is a belief. I don't know that this is a correct belief, but there is a belief by uh, some folks in the state that though that growing population would vote Democrat and therefore redistricting would affect those groups most because as we all know, uh, Texas, Texas uh, tends to be dominated by Republican politicians. So it, it, it really creates a lot of, it, it, it creates an invisible barrier to representation. Yeah. So you may have the right to vote. You may actually get to go and cast your ballot, but your influence and your power in that vote actually is limited. And that is a form of voter suppression. Um, and unfortunately, it's one that we don't talk about usually until after the fact. So we, we tend to react to it and we react to it too late. We react, react to it at a point which... There's nothing that can be done. Also, should point out, gerrymandering is 100% legal. There have been numerous Supreme Court cases, particularly coming out of Texas, <laughs> that uh, that the Supreme Court has said that this is fine. There's no there's no issue with gerrymandering. So, um, it it's how our system works.
0: That's it's it's not hard to believe, honestly, given the history of our country. That that is legal, but it's just like, it's clearly a fraudulent way to manipulate voting. And so that's so shocking. So another thing I wanted to ask you, because I have actually never voted in person before. You've right never now. voted in person before? No, because I've lived, uh, when I turned 18, I was in University uh, of Oregon, and then I moved to Seattle. So since I could vote, I've always had mail-in ballots. And so I've never, I've never been to a polling station. I've never, what? like, never had that experience before. Um, and it's only this year, uh, talking about all these and, and just being more critical about um, how voting has operated, am I going? Oh my gosh! Like, there's this experience that everyone has always experienced, and I've actually never done that before. Um, and it's interesting to see all of the controversy with mail-in voting coming, and I'm just like, oh, mail-in voting has been so extremely convenient and from what I've seen has worked very well that it's, it's mind boggling boggling to me to think that we're not making that transition and it hasn't been adopted more. Uh, but that's also another form of voter suppression, right? Like we it saw is. in Wisconsin in the primaries. I know uh, Texas had a lot of issues with this back in uh, super Tuesday in early March where they just have crazy lines. They limit the polling stations their polling stations not in spe- specific targeted areas, so people don't go out and vote. Um, and I know we talked about this last week with the professional athletes trying to set up more polling stations in some of these arenas, which is really good. Um, and something that I meant to do research on, I'll bring it up in another episode. Um, that they now have requests out; they're trying to get people like you and I, uh, younger, healthier individuals, to. Uh, be at these polling stations because typically the demographic that are supporting those centers are elderly. And right now we don't want elderly out in the public right now. So there is a big request, but I don't even know if that's happening here in Washington or not because it's mostly mail-in ballots anyways.
1: Yeah. I haven't heard about anything like that in, in Washington, but, um, I have definitely heard about, uh, particularly in Texas, because I've got folks who include me on these kinds of calls to come to volunteer at the polls. And I've got family members who are planning or thinking about it anyway. I don't know if they they will ultimately, but definitely thinking about going out there. um, And, you know, my fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha, they are trying to get some of the brothers to get out there and um, volunteer at these polls. I think that's, part of what needs to happen that's helpful um, but there's still a lot of systemic issues that that we still have to deal with and think about and be prepared for um, you know absentee voting so voting by mail is interesting because that's the only form of absentee vote voting is the only type of vote by mail that i've ever been exposed to and I can think of a very specific incident, or maybe two actually, um, where I've done that times when I've been out of state, uh, and for school, usually, um, I've voted absentee, and I was always skeptical of whether my vote was actually going to get counted. When I was in grad school at Dartmouth, there was a time, uh, it was the 2018 presidential election, I actually voted Uh, Sorry, not 2018. (laughs) 2008. So uh, yeah, so I was voting absentee for that election. Sorry. Um, Yeah, I wish I was in grad school two years ago. I'd be a lot younger, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so in 2008. And I remember my vote, I know, wasn't counted because they I requested the ballot on time. They sent me the ballot, but it had a deadline on the day that I received it. So there was no physical way for me to get it back to them in enough time for them to count it. I filled it out anyway and sent it, but I'm, I'm skeptical that it was ever counted. And this is one of the things that we have issues with in many states, that absentee ballot rules are different like when they get counted and how they get counted are actually different everywhere and I I, I want to back up just for one second and just say voting rules are different in every state that's another problem we don't have uniform standards the right to vote is guaranteed in the constitution that part is standard across this country but your access to the ballot is looks different for everyone and it changes often the rules change often. And so you may hear about a rule change in another place that doesn't affect you. But that also can be a form of voter suppression because to publicize something that is not something that affects everyone, it can cause people to feel uncertain or nervous about what their own chances are in their own state for having their vote counted. And that's also intentional by some to make people feel like they just shouldn't show up and vote in the first place because there's no there's no way they're going to have their vote counted. Um, so coming back to the absentee ballot, uh, my experience with absentee ballots, that was one. Um, there was another time, I don't remember exactly which election it was, there was another absentee situation. And this time, to guarantee that it was received, I overnighted it and I filled it out within a, the the uh, deadline and, I had to call to ensure that it was received. There's no notification, right? Like no one says, we've got your ballot. We've tabulated the ballots and yours is included. There's no confirmation of
0: that. Yeah, there's no confirmation. So
1: I called. And when I called, the person on the other end said, I'm so glad you called because otherwise we weren't going to do anything with this. We weren't even going to open it because the next step in order to actually get your ballot submitted is you have to call us. That was listed nowhere, not on their website. It wasn't on the ballot itself. It wasn't on the mailing label. It was nowhere. There was no in. There was no notification that I had to call to make sure they opened the package. And then I had to verify my identity. That was the other piece. That's why you have to call. You have to verify your identity and where you lived and whatever other information they wanted. And I just thought to myself, if I hadn't done that my my vote definitely wouldn't have been counted because she said that and i and i just wondered what happens to people who don't know to call because there's no there's there's no information on what you're supposed to do after you put it in the mail
0: yeah that's that's terrifying honestly
1: it is and this is how our system works i mean that's perfectly legal it's perfectly normal this is this is how it works that's the standard and so i i i guess you know when when we when I why i'm passionate about this is because i i do feel like i've had experiences where i'm i've questioned whether or not my vote counted and that shouldn't be the case uh, i have the right
0: to vote and so with that would would you feel better voting in person this year yes
1: you would yes I think that's um, important for a number of reasons. I think that voting in person allows you to definitely know that your vote was received or your ballot was received. So we have uh, electronic voting and we also have paper ballot. Um, When I vote in person, I choose the paper ballot. And that's uh, because we've had a lot of issues over the years as well with our electronic voting systems. But that being said, um, yeah, I mean, I think having that peace of mind is important because I'm able to have someone hand me a ballot. I'm able to fill it out and then I'm able to put it in a box myself. And I can see the machine tabulating immediately. That's important to me. That may not be important to everyone it requires a lot of trust in our system to vote in any other fashion because once you put the ballot in the mail or once you've typed in something into an electronic system you just you you have to trust that it's going to count and that's going to go where it's supposed to go and it's going to be handled properly so voting in person for me just allows me to i feel like to have that peace of mind I recognize, though, that that's not something that everyone can do. And that's not something that is, um, I, I would say, um, something that everyone can afford to do in, in time or or financially. Um, not all employers give time off to go vote. Most, I think most employers I've, I've worked for in my life, they've given time off to vote. So that's helpful. But that's not everyone's situation. Some people have to ask for an hour or two to go and vote, and they do shift work. And if they're not able to get the time that they need, then they can't go and vote. And so that's one example. But I would say using that as an example, that's a good reason why we need multiple forms of voting. We need in person. I believe we also need vote by mail. And I think we need to fix our security issues around uh, voting online. We shouldn't allow that also to be a barrier. That, I think, voting online, I think, would be probably the easiest and most efficient way to vote. But we are continuously told that that's just not something we should consider because there are too many security issues. But if you look at the situation that we have today, we have issues with this too. So, I mean, either we're going to identify a problem and not do anything about it, or we're going to identify a problem and say, let's figure out what we need to do. Let's just, let's just fix it.
0: Yeah, and, and a lot that you bring up is related to trust and how we all started this conversation is there's not a lot of trust in uh how the government operates because uh humans are hungry for power and they're always trying to make decisions to uh centralize their power and so then when it comes to us being trustful that they're gonna handle our votes right it, it really breaks it all falls apart right there uh yes yeah, yeah. so, so that makes sense um i you also talked about um the, Right. The national government saying you have the right to vote, but then all the states maintaining uh, the process on how you actually get your vote in. Right. And there's disconnected. And and I think there's a lot of conversation to be had about a national voting system and how would that work and and operate and and whether that's right or wrong. Uh, But you shared with me an Instagram post from Gary Chambers, Jr., right. And I think this is an important thing to bring up with that topic. And and what his Instagram post said, is said, the real issue is our local politics is failing us because it's copying our national politics. Your school board is why your kids attending, uh, what your school board is why your kids attend failing schools. Your city council is why your street has potholes and your state legislator is why cops have qualified immunity. And I think that's really important too. And really important to mention, we're talking about, Uh, Voting in the election that's coming up, November fourth. But something I think is really important to to note is, yes, this is the election that gets all of the media coverage and the news, and voting for your president and Congress, and and those issues are very important. But I think we have two other ballots this year that have as much effect on our immediate community in the areas that we live in than anything else. Right? How you vote for city council and uh, local initiatives. Those elections are just as important and make a very direct impact on your life, right? Like we see here in Seattle, the city council makes headlines, it seems like every day now, right? Like how important voting for those people uh, is and will be in the future really matters because those people make decisions that truly impact us on a day to day basis. Absolutely.
1: I really liked that post. Uh, I think there's there were some more slides to it, but this particular one that you read, I, I really that spoke to me because I do take issue. You know, I started talking about King Five, and I you know I I <laughs> come back to the media again to say the media does I think the public a great disservice by f- focusing uh, or putting outsized focus on. The presidential election—that is one, one of—you know—in some places you're, you you may be voting for a dozen or more different um, elected officials, and the presidency is one of many. And I think that's important because the presidency has a lot of influence in your life, but so do these other ones, and we almost never hear about them. We almost never talk about them. But if I'm, you know, using Seattle as as a great example, I mean, we we hear more about the city council these days. Uh, Even the president is talking about the city council of Seattle. So, like, that should let you know, you know, that the local elected officials, your city council, your district attorney, your mayor. I mean, if if you care about police brutality, like pick your issue, pick whatever issue you want, but let's pick police brutality since that's the one that makes the news the most these days. You have to be concerned about a variety of elected officials, not just the president. The president is one to be concerned about, but the mayor, the DA, the county sheriff, the city council, um, city commissioner, or sorry, county commissioners. All of these folks are elected officials who have an influence on law enforcement policy and also have an influence on who gets selected to be in law enforcement positions and leadership positions as well when there are um, community uh, committees set up to respond to law enforcement issues. Oftentimes there are Civil Rights commissions set up or there are um, groups that are created to evaluate uh, changes. Those are the same people who get to make that decision. So really trying to draw that connection from, there's a position, the position has the power to make these different decisions and they affect the issue that I'm concerned about. I think doing that helps to frame the importance of voting, but I I want to I want to be clear about something I, I I recognize that not every you know voting in this country is optional, so not everyone sees the need to vote, and I don't want to uh, comment on that. That's not something that I, I feel like is where we need to focus our attention because there are plenty of people who do want to vote, and I I want to really emphasize how to think about strategically addressing an issue that you're passionate about. And so that's one way to do it. So voting and then understanding who can do what for you, what, what position you're voting for and who's running for that position and what types of policies they support. And do you agree with them or not? Do they impact the uh, issue that you care about? That's, that's really the way that I think about these things. So I would say for me, I need to do a little bit more research. (laughs) I'll just be honest. Like I'm I'm laying out my own framework, but I don't know all of the different, you know, folks that I'm going to have to consider when I go to vote. So I think it's a lot of work, but that's one way we can prepare ourselves for the voting process.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think we should go into talking about, uh, do you have a voting plan? Right, because yeah. you, you shared an Instagram post with me and, I, and I'll let you take, take the lead on that one um, about being prepared for the election. And, and I'm very guilty of that too. I've received ballots and they have sat on my dining table for four weeks. And then it's like, oh, election day's tomorrow. I probably should look this thing over. And then I wasn't prepared uh, with understanding who my candidates are. And, and the thing that I, I haven't dove into enough is and, and i don't think is given enough detail in the ballots are what is this person's job right a lot of times that is what goes uh misunderstood is like oh uh, the attorney general or the port commissioner right what does that person actually do like what are they going to be responsible for in the next couple of years that's going to have an impact on me um and that's something that um maybe we even highlight in this show when the election comes up about like, not necessarily talking about the individual candidates, but saying like, oh, this is what this person does. And so these are the things you need to think about when you're looking for the person that you want to put in that position. But let's go back. So do you have a voting plan?
1: Do you have a voting plan? Interestingly enough, um, my voting plan is coming together. Uh, I I really liked this post that I came across. Uh, So it's from Rally and Rise. And it made me think a little bit about the fact that, yes, I do have a voting plan. It's still developing. But what this particular post talks about, uh, for those of you who don't have a voting plan, or if you're thinking about your voting plan, as as I am, uh, that it's important to decide first what makes the most sense for you. So is that voting in person on election day? Is that voting early? Is that voting by mail? Is that um, some... Is it um, absentee? Uh, so those are those. That's the first thing: how you're going to vote. And then uh, it goes into uh, stating that in some states, that voting by mail actually has already started. Ballots have already started um, being sent. And then it moves on to talk a little bit about things that we should consider asking ourselves as we're considering making our voting plan. So one question is, does your state offer in-person early voting? Because we know that on election day, we'll see a lot of challenges at the polls. We've talked a little bit about them already from shortages and poll workers to fewer locations than usual. These are a couple of impacts, uh, a couple of ways polling locations are impacted by COVID, um, but also um, we may see really long lines for various reasons. We may not have enough equipment vote and by that I mean voting equipment. We might also have broken uh, equipment. So that makes it more time consuming, or, or it takes more time for the line to move. And if you vote early, that is one tactic that you can control to uh, get ahead of the election day rush. The next question that they pose uh, is, do your does your state let you drop off your ballot? So I had not heard about that before. So I guess the idea is that you can receive maybe a ballot uh, by mail or by some other means, and then you fill it out at home, and then you bring it to a, uh, a drop box or a polling site. It's that's something I think that's something to do here in Washington. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So that's how I've always voted. I think only once I've put it in like a blue mailbox. And so it's been interesting. We've had all the controversy with USPS. Um, and I guess a lot of people must be dropping it in the blue box. But what I've always done is uh, the two mail drop locations that I know here in Seattle, there's one uh, right by the courthouse in the Uh, city administration building on 4th Avenue in downtown Seattle. Um, And there's one at the community center in Green Lake park. And I know there's probably a dozen other ones around the city in all the neighborhoods. Uh, I would check your libraries. I know they list them on their website. If you're looking for your nearest location, Uh, but yeah, it's a big white box that that's always been how I've experienced voting. Right. I've taken, uh, I've opened the mail. We get one booklet for a household. Uh, You fill out your booklet you put it in their sealed envelope or you seal the envelope and then you sign your signature and how they check it after you drop in the mailbox is they check your signature against how you registered your signature. And so that's how they stop voter fraud. Your, your signature is very important. and It doesn't count if you don't sign it. Um, obviously that's how you could get into trouble with not having a matching signature, but from what I'm aware of, that's it. But yeah, dropping it at the box has always been a highlight. I know uh, on election day, whatever election it is, that's like always my Instagram story is always just like me holding the letter, dropping it right in the box. And, and yeah, that's always been my experience with voting. It's it's interesting to hear that our perspectives about like, oh, I'm very adamant when I go and I choose the paper one because yeah, like I said, I haven't, I haven't actually experienced that. Um, but yeah, they, they are relatively accessible, but you don't want to get to the box. Uh, you can drop it in the USPS blue boxes. And I w- they're saying you should drop that in two weeks ahead of time to make sure that you get your mail. Um, but if you put it in one of those boxes, you're going to – its I would say it's more reliable.
1: So let me ask you, um, the last question that the Rally and Rise um, post – tells us to ask ourselves is, does your state allow you to track your ballot? Does Washington state allow you, after you've gone through this process of dropping your ballot into a designated box or in a mailbox, are you able to track your your ballot?
0: I have never tracked my ballot before. Um, I'm gonna do a quick Google here real quick um, to find out, because I hadn't even thought about that until you you sent me this post of tracking, um, tracking ballots in Washington State. Lots of people have Googled this. It automatically came up. (laughs) Um, It looks like you can. In the voter portal um, and learn what's on your ballot. Has your ballot been counted? Here's how to track it. So yes, you can. I will make sure to do that this year. And I will do more research. And when we get closer to the election, uh, that's probably something that we will share here in next month's episodes. Awesome.
1: Um, So I really like the idea of having a voting plan. And I've, I've talked with uh, my family about it. And I, th- I think for many people in the South, the goal is to vote early. Um, and I think that is the best way to avoid long wait times. That's the best way to ensure that if anything is going to stand in your way, that you have time to resolve it before election day. You know, you've mentioned in, in terms of particular types of tactics, uh, ID laws can per, per, can create barriers uh, that you don't know about until you show up. Um, voter roll purges also can create a barrier and you won't know until you show up. You think you're registered to vote. Sorry, someone's texting me. <laughs> uh, you you uh, think you have been registered to vote and you may even have uh, a a voter registration card and then you show up and you find out that, oops, you're not on the list anymore and you have to try to resolve it before you can vote. Um, In some states, there's actually a law uh, that's called a use it or lose it. Yeah, use it or lose it yeah and it's if you haven't voted for a certain period of time so maybe in like the last two elections then you lose the right to vote and that is crazy what other what other type of right do we have like that that well you didn't you didn't exercise the right so now you can't use it anymore i i, I just i hate i hate that i i hate that this is even the thing that we have to deal with but we do and we are in a position right now where we can't stop the tactics from being deployed we can just prepare ourselves to respond to them if we find ourselves uh, confronted with these tactics and so um, it's important to know what they are it's then important to understand what we should do if we see them or if, if we're confronted with them so you know i think that's that that's sort of where i am right now in my own thinking about the the plan that voting early will be important and encouraging others to do the same i have seen some celebrities out talking about voting early i also see a lot of celebrities just saying well you should vote i think i am past that part of trying to just encourage people in general to vote because i think that's not enough to just say you should go vote i think there are reasons why people choose not to vote and i I don't think we spend enough time trying to understand that so i don't want to be that person that's preaching to people you should go vote what i want to do more is to think about for the people who. Do say they want to vote, what could stop them from voting? What are the roadblocks along your you know voting journey and how how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that as a as individuals and how do we deal with that as a community because i I think we have enough experience with voter suppression that we understand that these tactics will be deployed just like that's a given. What I think we don't talk about enough is what we can do
0: proactively. I agree. Do Do you have any suggestions of things that we can do proactively? Besides, I mean, obviously we're talking about it here. You can educate yourself. You know where those things are. Uh, check that you are registered to vote. What other things do you recommend?
1: So the process requires us to first be registered, So, we have to check to see that we are registered. Then, when we are choosing our, or making our voting plan, definitely going, if you plan to vote in person, then I would say try to vote early. If if that's within your uh, ability, try to vote early. If you're voting by mail, Don't do what you have done in the past and put it on the the dining room table as soon as you walk in the house with that ballot. In fact, if you go to the post office and pick it up, don't even leave the post office. (laughs) Just fill it out right there while you're at the post office. Um, Because the sooner you can complete your ballot and get it back, the better. We are likely going to face uh, higher uh, vote-by-mail Uh, activity. So we are concerned that perhaps that's going to um, be something that's overwhelming for our postal system. So the sooner that you can get that process started for yourself, the better for you. Then I would say if you are able to track, I think you should track your mail-in ballot now, if you're going to vote in person, um, the first thing that happens when you walk into a polling location is that you have to show some form of ID, so make sure you have your correct ID available. Uh, usually it's a driver's license. You may also have a voter, an actual voter registration card. You can bring that. But before you go, be sure to check to see if the rules have changed in your state part of what happens in a in our world is the media will cover proposed changes or some discussion about changing ahead of the election. And sometimes there are no changes, but because the proposal was so widely covered, it may influence you and you may think that somehow you, 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 you have to do something different. And so that's important. Um, so make sure you have the right ID. You have the right ID, then you're able to go in and cast your ballot. So I think those are the, as I think about it, I think those are the main things. If you have to take time off from work, get your time request in now. I actually am taking the whole day off. Uh, My employer does actually allow time to go and vote, but I I want the whole day so I can focus on um, other things, not just the voting process itself, but also helping others who may need uh, to go and vote. And something I, have uh, heard a lot more recently. So once you've gotten your voting plan set for yourself and you've thought through the ways in which you um, could face barriers and how you might respond to them, it's then important to think about others. So are you going to go vote by yourself? Are you going to go with others? Who who are you going to bring with you? Uh, and i think that's and, and that that that's more for people who are going in person right but even if you're voting by mail you know when you go put your ballot in a box who, who are you gonna bring with you're you gonna bring you know the guy at the coffee shop you're gonna bring your wife are you bringing um you know someone from yoga i i think that's important because this is a community activity uh, that
0: that's a great point there at the end that it is community activity if you have any interest in voting you know spreading the word reminding people i know i got a text from one friend already that he sent out i mean i hope i think he did like one of those send it to 10 people challenges like here's a link are you registered to vote please respond to me to let me know that you've done this because it's important to me um and those little steps make a really big difference right if um everyone's being proactive i mean just us here talking about it anyone who listens to it you know it does a little bit of something to uh, help progress. So before we end the show here, um, I want to talk a little bit about the things that you're working on because you're like directly attacking uh, the problem here with voter suppression and, and making it easier to vote. And so you've been working on this app. I know you've promoted a little bit on your Instagram, but I haven't really like had a full on discussion with you about this app now that you, um, you know, you, you've shown some screenshots and you've publicly put it out there. So, so tell us about this app that you're working
1: on. Yeah, so uh, I recently created an app called Next Up City Guide. Now, Next Up City Guide, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the background and, and the journey there. Um, a, a, a little under a year ago, I had an opportunity uh, to, at work, participate in an innovation design sprint. And when I was on that sprint, I started thinking a lot about how products and services are created for groups of people. And I started thinking very specifically that my own experience as an African-American in this world is not present in the thinking of uh, what problems to solve and what type of customer to solve the problem for. So I started thinking a little bit about what is it that I could do? How could I uh, use the experience of being an African-American in this society towards creating a tech future and i like many people i am very inspired by black panther so my mind goes straight to "What, what what if we could build wakanda like what would that look like well in my mind, I'm like, well, we would have, definitely have to have better technology than what we have right now. And we, we definitely need to use it in a different way. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, so what's the vibranium, right? Because the vibranium matters. <laughs> and so I said, okay, this is, I'm going to use this experience. Because I think if you use an experience that is by all quality of life measures, at At a place where we don't want it to be, if you can improve those quality of life measures, you actually raise everyone's quality of life measures. And I think within civil rights, that's exactly what we've seen when we've when African-Americans have asked for civil rights legislation. It's to benefit everyone in our society and make sure everyone is served in the same way. And I started thinking we have this problem with tech, actually with tech, we create exclusion, and I want to think about how we solve problems in a more inclusive way. So that was my thinking. So I I just want to lay out my my thinking. And then I took the next step of connecting with, um, well, before I get there, I started thinking specifically about what problem I want to solve within the African-American experience. What was really something that I thought was problematic? And I started to zero in on long wait times. Long wait time being something that is a persistent and pervasive structural feature of the African-American experience. Any type of business you interact with or um, a government office, there's always a lot of wait time. And I notice in the innovations that I see out in the world, particularly in the tech world, when products are created, they're actually created to reduce wait time, to create efficiency. But because we don't specifically address that uh, from the experience of African-Americans, then we actually don't solve that in the other aspects of our lives. So we can have almost zero wait time for a product that is coming from across the country. But people are waiting for very long and very long lines when they want to register to vote or when they want to get uh, a new driver's license, so I said, "All right, this is what I want to. This is what I want to think about." And I came up with a few use cases. The first one actually was a barbershop scenario, and there's a lot of wait time at the barbershop, as many many folks know, hair salons too. But then the pandemic hit, and when the pandemic hit, I started thinking a little bit about um, this world that we're in now, where we see weight long wait times everywhere. People are standing in lines for all types of businesses now. And I didn't anticipate that happening, but I was already building this app and I was on that path. And then the primaries started to happen. And in Georgia and in Texas, I started seeing things that made me say there, this shouldn't even exist there. We should have a world in which people can know what the wait time is before they ever leave the house. they, People are not empowered with that information. And so they are almost held hostage or what they end up doing in some cases is just not voting at all. They just leave and, and go somewhere else. And that's not fair. I don't want to have a world that looks like that. So I started talking with uh, the developer that I, I work with. And I said, here's what I think we can do. We have this app that actually is already designed to provide visibility to the number of people in line at a location, any location. I said, but let's adapt it specifically for a a voter and think about what does this voter need? What is the essential information this voter needs to be able to then make a decision about which polling location to go to and what's the best time to go where, where I can spend the least amount of time waiting and where I lose the least amount of money. And I, I feel like I can't control at all what the drivers are of the long wait time. But what I can do is not have you walking directly into them. I can, I can support our community in that way by saying, hey, I've spent time, you know, my own money, trying to figure out how we can create that visibility. So I have an app. I also have a website, a companion website, because the app is only uh, for iPhone right now. Uh, But the website is publicly available, and it's free. I'm not charging anything. I'm not trying to get rich from this. I want to get it in the hands of voters, and I want people to have a better experience. So what's the website? The website is nextup.city. So N-E-X-T-U-P dot city, C-I-T-Y.
0: And, and what about the app? Can we find the app now on, on the Apple Store? Not yet. It will be there definitely
1: before Election Day. But we are still making some updates. And so if, if I were to put it there, it wouldn't look like what it should look like uh, because we are making some changes. As I mentioned, we went through a couple of other use cases. And so now with this use case, there are some changes I want to make. And, um, you know, I'm looking for right now what I need more of than anything is a non-profit partner that can help inform any of the the last minute changes that we could make, some things that maybe we haven't thought about. There are groups who are highly engaged in supporting voters on election day, and for me, I think they, their input into this design
0: process would be super helpful. All right, well, if any of you are out there, um, I'll make sure to check it out too and give you some feedback. I think that's amazing, right? That's a noble thing that you're doing to invest your own time and your own money to address all of these problems. And I think that's, that's amazing.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. I will tell you, I I don't get a lot of sleep because the election is less than two months away and I'm really, I really want to get this out there. Um, But I recognize that, it's needed and since i've been posting about it now that i'm at a point where i can post about it um i have been uh, i've also set up an instagram profile i i've gotten so much feedback like positive messages people saying when where can i go can i volunteer and help you know collect the data that we need um can i can I use the app? Who who do I need to share this with? And I, I'm over, I'm overwhelmed. You know, we're only a team of two. And so we both have full-time jobs. And so it's not like we, we literally do this after hours on weekends. This is how we are spending our free time working on this. And so I've been overwhelmed by just the positive reaction. So that lets me know I'm moving in the right direction and I'm solving the right problem. Um, and that feels good. But yeah, I mean you know, just, just getting that feedback, like, just like what you said, like, that's, that's the motivation I need to keep going because it's tough when you're just such a small team and you're bootstrapping. It, it's not, you know, there, there are times I, I think to myself, I don't, I don't, you know, do we have enough time and, and, and is this all going to come together? But I've, I've been seeing, you know, at every day and every week, we, make more and more progress and and that's why i started promoting it because I'm, I'm at a point where we could today if we wanted to put it on the app store but i don't want to put it there just yet because i want to make a few few more permanent changes and then once we do that it will be out in the world but i think that with a piece of technology like this it's only as good as as the data that is collected right so i could have a million users but if i don't have anyone who's able to actually use the app and collect the data on the wait time or the line count or any conditions that tend to change throughout the day at these polling locations and also a a critical number right like so not just one polling location in one city but having multiple polling locations in a city and hopefully multiple cities that are being served by this app this actually gives us a much better picture of what's actually happening and my hope is that we can use this data to then push for the changes that we need to see because as we know these issues of wait time at polling locations are long standing and not only are they long standing they're really severely impacting African-American communities, Latino communities, Asian communities, Native American communities, and those groups are already marginalized. So being driven away from voting then limits influence and power and the ability to make change. And so I think about that connection that, you know, again, like I said, I'm not changing the voting system. But what I'm trying to do is get us the evidence that we need, first the visibility piece for our voters, but then get us the evidence that we need to then be able to go in and say, you're not serving us well, we need this to change now, we need an experience that we deserve, and keep pushing forward until we get it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. We have all this software, right? We're a country that's Building on tech, like our economy has skyrocketed because of all the uh, tech investments and the growth that we have. So it's wild when we see none of this growth like being put into the public sector and uh, being applied to these very, very important issues. And yeah, what yeah. you're doing is great. And, and that point about providing evidence, your app alone could just show so much data on like how big of a problem this is right in in one election you can be like here's the average wait time at a polling place right and if that number which we anticipate is going to be high right that shows that there needs to be something done right there needs to be an investment made to shorten those times and make it more accessible and make it easier to get to the polling stations
1: yeah absolutely and, and and just to give a couple of examples of how extreme this is and also how recent it is just in the primary season this year in Texas there were a number of polling locations in the state of Texas that had very very long wait times and in particular the Texas Southern University polling location so this is a historically black college in Houston's third ward had 6 plus hours wait time reported and many of the folks waiting in line were students and they had to actually extend the polling location hours to ensure that the very last person could vote and I believe if I recall correctly that person didn't walk out of there until one o'clock in the morning. So people are committed but people shouldn't have to go through that. If you're willing to wait six hours I appreciate you, and I'm sure all of us in the community appreciate you, but that shouldn't be your experience. And that, is, that has become standard for a lot of polling locations. Um, we also saw in the Georgia primary, five plus wait hours in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood at a polling location that is that predominantly serves African-Americans. Now that's also a gentrifying neighborhood. So I've seen the photos of what the lines look like. You see. White folks who are also impacted by long wait time. Again, we don't actually have to have long wait times. That's 100% preventable. And I've been looking at some research from MIT. MIT and Stanford partnered together this year, and they've launched um, a healthy elections website in response to COVID. But prior to that, MIT has been doing a lot of work based on queuing theory. So there is a scientific approach to thinking about how to set up a polling site and how to prevent long wait times. It is very clear to me that local election officials are not using this free, open source, um, you know, research-based approach to running elections. That's what I want to see, and my hope is that I can take the first step with this election by cre- creating this app, getting it into the hands of voters, helping them have the information they need, but then taking that same data and and going to these local election officials
0: and demanding better. Can you remind me what that service was, or that business nonprofit that you just mentioned? Um, now for that was giving the data about um elections, and you just mentioned the service. I can go back and listen to it.
1: <laughs> Sorry, no, I was, I was trying to think.
0: Uh, you mean the app, my app, or what no, are you no, no, you you just mentioned a. Uh, a business that was collecting data and doing research on uh, polling effectiveness, right? And like oh, how to oh, set up oh,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. So MIT. Oh, MIT. MIT. Okay. It was a study that MIT did. Yes. No, they've actually got uh, a lot of studies that they've done over the years and um, free open source uh, tools to help election officials. They, and I think two or three, probably about three websites dedicated just to this topic. The more, the, the newer one is a healthy election, so MIT and Stanford have partnered up to create a website to, to make them COVID, make these election sites covid right.
0: Well, that probably is a great place to end the show, unless you got any last thoughts for us or things you wanna talk about. I think we hit all, Oh, we have, <laughs> we have one more. There's a movie that comes out, for any of you listening, there's a movie that comes out uh, on Amazon Prime Video, called All In, The Fight for Democracy. Um, You can watch the trailer now on YouTube. Uh, I believe that comes out uh, this upcoming Friday, the 19th.
1: That sounds about right.
0: Or 19th might be Saturday. Um, And... It, it From the trailer, it looks like it follows a lot with Stacey Abrams and her fight against voter suppression. It seems so timely uh, that this video is coming out and we're having this conversation. I'm sure on the next episode, uh, we'll probably dedicate some time to talk about the movie and uh, what we thought.
1: Yeah, I hope we... I hope we can do that because it looks really good Um, and it, you know, they talk about the wait times, they talk about a lot of different tactics and Stacey Abrams is someone I really admire because she's been in this fight now for many years. She has a couple of nonprofits focused on trying to make uh, voting fair for everyone and She's someone I I definitely can say I look up to as a leader in this space because she's she has been out front and center and constantly fighting for everyone to have the right to vote in the way that it is defined in the Constitution. So I'm excited about this. Um, I do also wanna say something before we go, I just wanna you know thank all the people again who have reached out, sent us messages, um, left comments on our YouTube. Uh, please continue to do that. That really helps us out, not just because it motivates us to keep going, but also because these little algorithms, they, they need this kind of stuff to help us continue to connect with the community. So please like, please share, uh, please follow. Um, I uh, enjoy hearing from everyone. And I know Connor does as well. And we even talk about the comments. We're like, hey, did you see this one? <laughs> so please continue to do that. And And if you like this episode, please share with a friend.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. We would love and appreciate all of the shares, comments, likes. If you have anything that you want us to talk about or follow up on, we'd love to hear any of your suggestions. Uh, I, a lot of the comments that we saw led us into talking more about voter suppression and the entire topic today. So we appreciate all of you. Thank you very much. Mr. Well Travel, thank you very much. Uh, being in the studio, joining me here on the Saturday morning to uh, talk about the show. I appreciate you. And I just appreciate all the work that you're doing. Every Your transition that you've made on your content, I think is just amazing. Not a lot of people are have the courage to do something like that, right? And change their aesthetic and talk about other things. Uh, and I think that's very admirable that you've done that and you've stepped up and and become a voice. Thank
1: you. I really appreciate that. That's, that means a lot.
0: Well, the world needs it, and the world needs more people doing it. And so I've noticed it, and I appreciate it. I know a lot of other people does. But uh, that concludes the second episode of Community
1: Divert. Connor, before we go, I just want to make sure I do one thing. You know, I I film and record my portion in a studio. And so I just want to acknowledge, to my right here is Tyree. You guys can't see him. He's off camera. But he's. I walked in today. Everything was set up. I was running late. Um, Smoke. Starbucks had a really long line, all of that. And I came in and everything was ready to go and we just were able to get started. And that's all because of Tyree and also the fact that the sound quality is what it is. I was having a lot of sound issues before when we were doing this and, uh, you know, using my uh, poor man's setup. uh, And Tyree has made all the difference in the world with his um, professional audio skills. So
0: you Tyree is there is there a place that people can find you or find your business or find your services online um <clears throat> not so much uh we're in uh contact create studios um and yeah we're, we're not we're not super open to the public right now uh for obvious reasons but <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Th- thanks for, thanks for the shout out. Yeah. Thanks for helping us so much. All right. Well, that concludes our second episode of the show. Yeah, thank, you. thank you very much. Thank you, Connor. Thanks I, for everything. Of course. And uh, we'll have the show on YouTube, iTunes, Google play, Spotify. Spotify. It's everywhere right now. Uh, right you everywhere. Can, Follow Mr. Well Traveled at Mr. Well Traveled on Instagram. I'm at find me in Seattle. You see it here on the tags uh, on our names here on the show. And uh, thank you very much. And we'll see you in a couple weeks for episode three.